Welcome to the Birth Zone Podcast. I'm the host, Jasmine Sasek. Usually I post a daily five-minute meditation for use during pregnancy or labor, but today I have a different and very special episode for you. I'm sharing an episode from a podcast called Healing Birth with Diana forsell Tayen. Her podcast is all about healing from past birth trauma. In this episode that I'm sharing with you, she interviews Dr. B.B. Derricks, a naturopathic doctor, acupuncturist, holistic pelvic care practitioner, birth healing provider, and Chinese herbal medicine specialist. So she's basically brilliant. This interview goes deep into the science of why and how trauma is literally stored in our body tissues, as well as Dr. Beebe's stories about her own physical trauma, its effect on her first birth experience, and her ultimately very healing and triumphant second birth. I will be back tomorrow with my usual daily pregnancy meditation, but for today, I invite you to listen in on Diana's interview on the Healing Birth podcast. Okay. Welcome, Bibi. I'm so excited to talk to you today. Thanks for having me. I'm, I'm blessed to be here. Yay. Well, you and I had kind of a brief introductory phone call several weeks ago where um, it was really clear that within your work that you're really passionate about serving women's health issues. And I would say it seemed to be in particular mothers and new mothers. And um, we're going to get into all of that, but I'm always interested to hear the origin story or like the pull that gets people into working with mothers or pregnant or postpartum women. I've interviewed a lot of birth workers on this show, and I don't know if you would characterize yourself as a birth worker, but there seems to always be something that happened that pulls people to this work. And I'm always so interested to hear that sort of origin story or that background. So I wonder if you could just start by telling us what got you interested in working in women's health. Absolutely. I think that's a great place to start because we don't really know, especially when it comes to birth and birth healing until we experience a birth or something around our pelvis that requires that journey. So if we we, uh, rewind kind of back into my time in medical school, I had an IUD placed, thinking that it was kind of the right thing to do. I was going through medical school. I didn't want to have a baby. And just thinking about our societal norm of like, shut it down, right? Which is if we really live from a place of connection to our pelvises as female bodies in this world, we couldn't shut ourselves down. And so kind of going through that patriarchal system of medical school, I kind of bought into that. So the IUD was placed incorrectly. Three months passes by where I'm going to the doctor, you know, every couple of days, every couple of weeks at different, you know, points in time trying to get it removed. It ends up having to come out via hysteroscopic guidance in an operating room under sedation. And after that, I emerged from that experience thinking, oh my gosh, I need some pelvic floor support because it had been in my pelvis incorrectly protruding, protruding into my cervix for three months at that time. And no one took it out. They kept telling me that my insurance wouldn't pay for a new one. No one would listen to me. They kept saying, oh, that's a cyst or that looks like um, it's just an abnormal growth in your vaginal wall. Despite the fact that I was like, well, that wasn't there before. It's clearly a piece of, piece of plastic that's protruding through my cervix. So then fast forward, you know, fast forward then to my birth experience. I ended up laboring at home for four days with a midwife, tra- I guess two and a half, three days at home with a midwife, transferred to a hospital, labored, fully dilated, fully effaced, pushed my baby for five and a half hours, and then had an emergency cesarean with D-cells. And it makes total sense. My, my child at that point uh, was septic. I was septic. 
I was actually going through kidney failure at the time and had back labor throughout my entire birth experience. Wow. And so when my daughter was born, my bladder was basically so thin and frail that they said it, it took them everything to just keep that tissue intact, which, you know, really kind of on the other end of, of postpartum healing, it took me a good year and a half, two years to even feel like I was back in my body in a way that I had been prior. Mm-hmm. So, and, and with that in mind, I feel like it's our life work. Once we have cesarean births or go through any kind of pelvic floor trauma, it's really our life's work to then tend to that space, to bring life back in, to bring joy, to bring harmony, to work out scar tissue, adhesions, to just be present. And then to give that gift to as many other women as we can or birthing, birthing bodies. So in a nutshell, that was kind of my birth experience. And then being a naturopathic doctor and acupuncturist, and at the time, because I had had this IUD experience, I had um, been given this amazing opportunity to dive right in to pelvic floor healing. So I had studied with Tammy Lynn Kent. I'd done her advanced training, all of her trainings. I had taken pelvic floor trainings with other Seattle specialists and, and traveled to other places around the country. And so, you know, just to get the tools in my hands to help women who had had any kind of pelvic floor injury. So I already knew what it would mean because I'd sat with so many women who'd had cesarean births or or difficult uh, traumatic experiences in their pelvises, but I didn't really understand, right? Until I was on the other end of birth, working with my own body to heal and recover. And so since then, in even a, a bigger way than ever before, I've just been 1,000 million trillion percent committed to helping women heal and to, to doing whatever I can do to put the knowledge in my hands, in my mind, my heart, and my body. Wow, that's amazing. I'm curious, do you connect the experience with the IUD to the prolonged labor and the birth experience that you had with your child? I absolutely do, and I'm so glad you brought that up. Um, yes, the fact that I had the IUD in my cervix for so long created scar tissue. And that, that thickness, right, an extra kind of stiffness of my cervix didn't allow me to fully dilate in the face. And that's what kept me at home. Mm. And I, I ended up, it ended up being that my baby was posterior. And so I back labored the whole time. When we transferred to the hospital, I remember the midwife making a comment that I was the princess in the pee because I was in so much pain and things were so intense and is kind of like humiliating me, right? Like I was in sensationalizing my experience. Um, But I was actually in kidney failure because during the whole time that I was at home, what was happening is my baby's head was on my bladder and I wasn't able to urinate. And so I had urine backing up into my kidneys. And I kept telling them like, I can't urinate, but they weren't the type of um, midwives that labor sat. So they weren't really with me, right? They check in for 15 minutes and then they leave. And so it was never really enough time for them to see the whole story or the picture. Mm -hmm. And that's why... I've, and I also, you know, I had too many people at my, my birth, right? There were too many keepers of the knowledge, right? There wasn't like one person to really hold that space for me and really mm-hmm. integrate the whole story. And so in my mind, I'm actually the one that ultimately kind of in the midst of kidney failure of back labor and birth, you know, for two and a half days, I was like, I need to transfer to the hospital. Mm-hmm. And so I transferred myself and I mean, it was a great decision, um, but I, so, so, you know, just like a, a little placeholder for that, I feel like it's so important for women as they're preparing for birth or attempting a VBAC or any kind of experience to know that it, it, you know, without a doubt, we need one person who's committed to the story of the birth, to tracking the details, whether that's right. Usually it's a doula, it's a friend. I would say if it's a friend that that friend not come with a baby 
of their own or a child or anyone else that they have to care to, that they can be a hundred percent with that mom in labor. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing that story. I, in my work, I talk to a lot of women that have had some form of traumatic birth experiences and some of the hardest ones are stories like yours where, um, the labor was very, very long. There wasn't really a clear reason, at le- or at least to the birthing person or to a midwife, why the cervix wouldn't dilate all the way or something like that. And those stories can be the hardest for women to process if they don't have that, you know, that piece of knowledge that like, oh, this is what caused that to happen, you know, because we're not taught anything about the dangers of IUDs and, you know, other things that we due to women in the name of healthcare, there's so many things that I think have ramifications down the line on our birth experience that we're just not taught. So I really appreciate you sharing that story. I think there's going to be someone out there who had a labor experience potentially like yours, and you just gave them a missing puzzle piece that might help them understand what had happened. So thank you. Well, that's what's so sad about our culture, our birth culture, our medical provider culture, is that we, we don't associate these very simple things together, right? We don't, and then, and by not doing that, we don't allow birthing bodies or, or mothers to then sit with the knowledge of that and assimilate their own experience and think, oh, right. It was like, it was actually a domino effect, right? Mm-hmm. If I hadn't had this one experience, my cervix would have fully effaced, it would have fully opened. But what what's so crazy is like in that first 24 hours of birth with my daughter, my first birth, I basically reached this point where I was like, you know, I was having this incredible contractions. I was in the birthing tub. The midwife showed up. She's like, you get ready to have your baby. And so my body was ready. My baby was ready, but my cervix wasn't doing anything. And it was this like, this, this point of, of no return, you know, and I, I can very, very clearly like be in that moment and remember that it was like, I could tell inside my body that something was going wrong but I didn't know what it was and I didn't have the language to communicate it. And, and that is even with having the foresight ahead of my birth to talk to my midwives about this IUD experience. And they just kind of dismissed it. Like, well, we don't think that's going to play a big role. Mm -hmm. We don't think that'll have anything to do with your birth and having some knowledge in pelvic floor health. I knew that was going to be different, but I, I wanted to also trust them. So I gave my power away. Mm. Um, Another beautiful segue that I just, in telling you this story that I remembered about my birth was I transferred to University of Washington because I was actually 42 weeks and um, I was 42 weeks and they would no longer take me at another local hospital where a lot of midwives like to transfer patients where they have better care and just more, you know, patient centered OBs who are less um, cesarean prone. Mm -hmm. And so I'm in this like environment I never expected to be in because I'm thinking I'm going to have this home birth. And even though I, I showed up and I was getting the support that I needed, it was, it was kind of traumatic, you know, to be in this place where there's all the people coming in and out and you don't know them by their names. There's bright lights, there's noises, there's machines. And it was so painful for me to be attached to any monitor because I was going into kidney failure that they couldn't touch me with anything. And so that made it really difficult. Um, but at one point in my labor, they, they gave me Pitocin and it wasn't doing anything for about 12 to 15 hours, right? And that's through like a night. And then finally the next day, I'm, I ask everyone to just leave the room. And I, I had my husband next to me, you know, we're just kind of like snuggling in bed and I went deep and did a meditation. 
And this is kind of like my first time where, you know, I had some pain support in the hospital. I have the Pitocin and I can just take a rest. And I went deeper than I'd ever gone before into a place of meditation. And I just did this beautiful like pelvic bowl clearing where I just kind of like took, you know, all the energy that was around me from the room and just like swept it out kind of grounding into the earth and really feeling that connection. And what I realized in that moment is that, you know, we go through birth, especially for our first pregnancies, holding all of our energy as high up as we can to protect our babies. Mm -hmm. And it was like this beautiful moment of like, oh, right. I actually have to switch that energy and let it go in order for us to survive here. Mm-hmm. And so I could feel that shift inside my body with that kind of downward clearing of my pelvic bowl space. And then I just kind of brought in and surrounded my baby with a light and what I wanted her, you know, the support and nourishment that I knew that she was going to need throughout our, you know, the whole journey that we were going to have. And then for myself, I just remember really resourcing. And when they, the OB came back in, you know, a few hours later, she was like, I can't believe it. You're fully dilated. And I mean, I remember, you know, in the moment her saying, get ready to push your baby out. You know, and I think of it now, I'm like, what a sick joke. Oh. <laughs> you know, but also like, I, I also remember the beauty of that too, of yeah. just there my body was. You That's know, incredible. Like, that I had that ability to kind of push the rest of the world out, really be inside. Mm-hmm. And make that shift. Because I know it wasn't just the Pitocin at that point, right? I'd been hooked up for so long. Nothing was happening. Mm -hmm. That's incredible. And you're reminding me of how even in, I mean, your story is pretty heavy. That's a very tough birth experience. But in, in every story I hear, there's almost always one moment of beauty and power that a woman can like come to and hold on to. And that, that's, that's really an incredible thing to share. Thank you for that. Would you be willing to talk a little bit about healing? And um, maybe in particular, you could tell us what is holistic pelvic care? Because I'm thinking of a woman that's hearing this and maybe had a traumatic cesarean birth or had pelvic trauma and is curious about this modality of healing. I think it's still not super widely known what it is and how it can support our healing. So if you could talk about that a little bit, and if you want to share anything about how um, this intersects with your own healing journey, that would be great too. Awesome. So Holistic Pelvic Care was developed by Tammy Lynn Kent. She has some awesome books that I recommend for anyone and everyone. There's Mothering from Your Center, which is great for kind of in that postpartum time frame, preparing for birth, just any time in mothering. There's Wild Feminine, which is just an awesome read for anyone, you know, just looking for balancing energies of the pelvis. And then there's, there's um, Wild Creative, which really could be called Wild Masculine. And I love all of her books. I think they all kind of have their own like time and imprint for, right, for us throughout our lives. But she created um, these books kind of out of this body of work of sitting in a physical therapy practice in a hospital setting for, I think, 20 plus years, working with so many bodies, female bodies that had gone through birth, you know, years prior, all of the different, you know, experiences that, um, you know, female bodies experience throughout a lifetime of shame, of trauma. And so she realized that the techniques that she was given in PT school weren't enough to address the body that she needed. She needed to have 
spiritual, you know, emotional guided meditation techniques to actually help reorganize the energetic patterns of the female body and of the pelvis. So Tammy Lynn Kent took those, those tools and kind of that integrated understanding and she developed holistic pelvic care. And so holistic pelvic care really embodies information on a physical level of how to kind of transform the, the tissue by doing intravaginal pelvic floor massage, you could say. But the, the work is beyond that. It's, it's really working with the energetic system of the woman in front of you and helping to balance those energies. So a good example of this is that post-cesarean birth, and this is something I feel really strongly ab about because I experienced it so heavily um, on many levels, but post-cesarean birth, there's this energy in the pelvis that is stagnant and stuck because during a, a normal physiological birth experience, the energy of birth goes down, mm -hmm. right? It comes down, passes through the vagina, and then comes to the woman's heart and chest and meets the baby. And Tammy talks a lot about kind of this energetic mandala coming in from the universe, just like almost like an umbilical cord, right? From the universe to that baby, but that travels through mom or any adopted parent, right? Throughout life can kind of intercept this, uh, this energetic system and channel it to the baby or the child. And so I just felt this incredible stagnant energy. Like I hadn't birthed this being that was clearly in front of me. And so throughout throughout my own birth journey, I had to work extremely hard to figure out how to allow the energy to pass. And so in working with Tammy, you know, in doing my own pelvic floor meditation and support work, I was able to pass that energy pretty, pretty easily. Like once I, I figured it out and I was like, oh, right, that's the, the missing link. And I, I understood it in my mind, but I understood it in my body after, you know, on a, a big level after birth. Um, but the beautiful thing about holistic pelvic care is Tammy takes a lot of time and energy to put her curriculum together for providers who want to train with her. And so if you go see someone in holistic pelvic care, you're not just seeing someone, you know, who just took, you know, a three or four hour course. It's like a four day intensive course where you're working on other women's bodies, you're working on yourself, you're really learning kind of the ins and outs of this energetic system. Of course, it takes a lifetime of work to really put it in your hands and mind. but even coming out of her trainings as a new provider, you know, years ago, I remember seeing miraculous incidences of healing in women's bodies. I mean, just like overnight, like, oh my gosh, that urinary incontinence that I've experienced my whole life is gone. Like, what did you do? Or doing a little bit of work with a woman who was incapable of um, accessing the muscles in her pelvis after a difficult birth, just really gentle intravaginal massage to help get lymphatics flowing, to help bring awareness kind of guided down through breath to that tissue, kind of reignites that tissue back to life. Another thing that can happen in the postpartum timeframe is, especially if birth doesn't go the way we expect it to go, is that we kind of shut down. It's almost like we dis disassociate from that part of our body. Oh, and yeah. so this, right? And this work is really beautiful work to help reconnect that so that we can be thriving beings within a thriving ecosystem of our bodies. Tammy would probably describe it differently, but that's, that's my, my kind of take on it. That was beautiful. Do you notice that women have emotional releases? I imagine that type of work would feel really emotional to me because I, I definitely resonate with the feeling, first of all, of not having birthed my baby that was right in front of me. And I also resonate with that feeling of just 
for a time being completely cut off from that part of my body that experienced trauma. Do you, do you see that happen with women? Absolutely. All the time. Wow. Um, Let's talk a little bit about the connection between trauma and pelvic pain. And I don't mean physical trauma necessarily. I mean, it makes sense that if you've had a difficult birth experience, like we've been discussing so far with our time together, um, it makes sense that there would be something going on in the pelvis. But do you find that other types of trauma can produce pain in the body or manifest in that way? Do you see that in your practice? All the time. Absolutely. (laughs) Um, When it comes to trauma and pain, I really think about fascia. And I think about that fascia as the connective tissue that runs throughout the entire body. And when we don't feel safe, when something has happened to a certain part of our body, things tend to kind of shut down. And with that process of kind of shutting down or, you know, closing things off, it can be that the body in order to do that kind of wraps that area in kind of like a tension pattern from what I, what I see and kind of work with in my work. And it's also like we, we dissociate our breath from that part of our bodies. And Mm. if we dissociate our breath, our blood flow, even just the connection, right? So we have trauma, we shut that part of our bodies down because we think, oh, it's, it's no longer safe to live and be in my pelvis. When I go there, I'm not safe. So I'm going to shut down, right? Like the last time I was there, something tremendously traumatic happened and I almost died. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, I'm going to just not live there ever. Well, when we do that, we can't, we don't actually bring blood flow in the same way to that tissue. It's kind of like we cut it off. We know that there are studies where we can look at meditation where you're meditating on a certain part of your body and bringing your breath to meet a sensation in that part of your body. And it actually delivers blood all the way down to meet, to meet that space. And so in the same way, on the other end, if we're disconnected, we're no longer bringing blood flow. And if we don't have blood, we don't have oxygen. And if we don't have oxygen, then tissue can't heal, it can't function optimally, and we're going to have pain. Wow. Thank you. That was so helpful. I feel like I'm learning so much from this conversation. I've had inklings about that in my own head that that's, there's some connection there, but you just completely explained what the connection was physio- physiologically. That's so good to hear. That's so good. So helpful to know. Thank you. You're so welcome. It's so fun to talk about this stuff because it makes me think too. So being also an acupuncturist and having studied Chinese herbal medicine, I think a lot about blockage of energy. And when we have a traumatic experience, it's kind of, we can think of it like a block. Again, it's like we're shutting ourselves down from that part of the body. So energy just doesn't go there. Mm -hmm. And in Chinese medicine, that's qi stagnation or blood stagnation in a part of the body. And so it's beautiful to just think like in their terms, they're basically saying it's blood stagnation. Blood's not going there. Mm. So they have an exact explanation for what you just said to you. They just say it in a different way. Yeah, it's such a, a real, such a brilliant system of medicine. Chinese medicine has personally benefited me and my family so much. I always recommend it to people that are stuck or need, need something new in terms of their healing journey. Yeah, I love it too. And in Chinese medicine, the whole qi deficiency or qi stagnation idea, they say that it leads to pain. And that so all pain is an energy blockage. And then if you remove the blockage, the pain dissipates. And so taking it even further, I think that that's so beautiful. Wow. I love that. Getting back to birth, I'm curious when people come to you for support or for help, 
Do you notice any common themes in the type of birth experience that they had? Like, is there something that you just hear quite a lot in your practice? And it might have changed throughout the years, but I'm just curious what you're seeing or hearing right now. Yeah, that's a really great um, question. I, I mean, I think some of the themes that I see a lot are induction cesarean. Um, you know, Pitocin, kind of more, more labor trauma. Home birth, you know, for the most part, it's like much, I mean, I don't want to say, right, like much easier birth experiences, but it, it feels like when people have the support, the care that they really desire at home and they feel like they can really root in and relax with the team that they have, birth goes better. Yeah. But with that, you know, holding, you know, all spectrums of birth, when, when things can, you know, go awry in a home birth, they can really go awry. And so, you know, it's every woman's choice to determine where she's going to feel most safe to birth. But I think, you know, with that too, it's if we can sit with the intuition in our bodies and in our babies, within our babies before birth, and just feel where we're going to feel, be the safest, then that is, that is where we're going to have the best outcome. Absolutely. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And for some women, that's a hospital with an obstetrician. For some women, that's at home with a friend holding the space for you. And it really is such an individual thing. Someone once um, shared this, this concept of intervention in the hospital about, you know, we, we think like big interventions in the hospital are just like having a cesarean, having an induction of some kind, having Pitocin, having an epidural, but we don't really think about the other um, interventions that kind of happen so unnecessarily, like the bright lights, like right. the constant, you know, checking to make sure we're dilating properly or all these things are happening, you know, at a level that and speed that they need to happen in the hospital system. And and I feel like that in and of itself can be really traumatic. So if you think about birth and how we have to be in a place of parasympathetic, just kind of calm, relaxed within our bodies, not trying to run from the dinosaur to birth. Well, in order to be in that physiologic place to birth a baby, we need dim lights, soft voices. We don't want beeping sounds. You know, we want soothing, calm music that brings us back into our bodies, you know, warm, nourishing liquids or foods, right? When we need to take a break, we want the soft, loving touch of our partners, not the cold gloved hands of a provider. Um, and so I'm, I'm kind of like putting these in a container and saying, you know, when we have these unnecessary interventions, and I'll, I'll go into a couple more of them in a second, that is a theme where I see, you know, more negative birth outcomes. Um, but alongside of, of that whole piece, you know, it's like if you think about parasympathetic and you're making love to your partner and someone, you know, starts knocking on the door, right? They're like, excuse me. Hi, I just want to check and just make sure you have enough lubrication. <laughs> oh, okay, great. Okay. So can you, can you move over that, you know, that, that way I'm going to get you out of your comfortable position. I'm just going to check you and, and let's check your partner and make sure he has an erection at the same time. Let, let's measure it. You know, like, and so we don't really, right. We don't really think about those things and then they leave. Right. And then they come back a little later and they knock on the door and like, how close to orgasming are you? <laughs> you know? And about that idea that birth is very similar yeah. Right. And it's like, you can, you can lose that built up energy. That's kind of like a climax to an orgasm, that state of complete relaxation, you know, mm -hmm. where you have to be so in your body, so connected. Mm -hmm. And, um, I just love that. Yeah. Just thinking about it that way, 
because we normalize these like vaginal checks, these bright lights, these beeping sounds, you know, all these things, and they're not normal at all. They're interventions too. Absolutely. I love that analogy and you made me laugh. So that's a bonus too. (laughs) I always, it's always really blown my mind that when there is an animal in the zoo about to give birth, that everybody understands you leave that animal alone. You don't check their animal vaginas. At least I don't think they do. You don't shine bright lights (laughs) on them. You don't touch them. You just completely leave them alone. Everybody understands that that's how mammals optimally need to give birth and that if you were to disturb a mama elephant or what what have you that her labor would probably stall or she might kick you in the face or something but when it comes to women adult human female people we somehow like forget that we're mammals too and that we also kind of need that same hands-off but safe environment yeah we do and my understanding is some, some animals, actually, if you interfere in that birthing process, will abandon their babies. Like it's such a, yeah. a, a place of like fear that it puts them into that sympathetic that they then think that they have to abandon their baby to save their own lives. Yes. And this makes me think of how many women do you know that have had a traumatic birth experience or were knocked out for their cesarean and then met their baby and didn't feel connected to their baby or didn't feel like they knew their baby. I mean, I know personally, um, holding, like waking up, holding my son and like, I don't know who you are. I'm getting emotional just saying that. But I mean, this is a real thing that many women experience. And I think that there's guilt and shame around those reactions, but I guess I would just love anyone listening to this to know that that's a normal thing. It's part of our physiology. It's absolutely part of our physiology. I recently heard um, something about cat, like milking cows and how if a milking cow, so milking cows and their babies are separated right after birth. Mm -hmm. And they do that because if a milking cow and its baby are you know, if the baby's born and mom gets to know the baby, even for like for seconds or minutes, right. And gets to lick that baby and tend to that baby and care for that baby. And that baby smells mom and mom smells baby. Then if you separate them at that point, they will move for each other. You know, it's move, move forever. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you just separate them before they ever meet, mom never cries for baby, baby never cries for mom. Wow. Wow. That hits me right in the heart. That's amazing. Um, you've already given me and my audience so much good information about healing from a physical perspective. Um, and I'm curious, you know, people that listen to my show are people that have probably all had traumatic birth experiences of some kind. And you're someone who has, I don't want to put words into your mouth, but it sounds like you have had one. You've done a lot of healing from it. Um, and you also have a lot of experience supporting other women. So I'm curious, other than holistic pelvic care or um, the physical, the, all the physical things getting in line, what would you say to someone who had a birth experience that was traumatic, maybe was separated from their baby and is struggling? What, what is a good place to start with healing on not just the physical level, but the spiritual, the emotional, all of those other pieces? Yeah, I love that question. And I'm, I'm so happy to address it. So with with traumatic birth experiences, you know, we can think of that, that chi blockage, right, in a meridian system within our bodies as being blockage um, and disconnecting us. 
But we can also think of that, you know, the energy is not just physical, but it's, it's on an emotional, spiritual kind of whole level. And so in that, that place of birth, as we talked about before, you know, there's supposed to be an energy download from the universe through mom to baby. And that energy can get blocked within mom. Well, that energy is not just for baby, right? That energy is actually for mom too. And so this energy that kind of comes down as a download through this kind of mandala, like crystalline um, support network, you know, and this is kind of like Tammy's work. And then in having a VBAC and just talking to clients across the board, this is like, it's almost like, you know, in that birth process, when things go right, there's this like opening, this like energetic portal that kind of like opens, right, as baby's about to come. And it's almost like an aperture, right, that kind of like, um, opens and closes and undulates kind of all throughout birth where you're getting closer, you know, and further away and closer. And then all of a sudden it just fully opens and baby comes through. And with that, this energy births right into mom, filling mom, giving mom the resiliency, the strength, the nourishment, you know, from that kind of higher divine uh, source to then, to then mother and be with this baby, right. To feel like she just in the presence of this baby gets to be nourished too. Oh. instead of depleted, instead of looking at that baby and feeling like, you know, she's inadequate, like she hasn't, you know, like met, I'm going to get really teary um, because I, I just hold space for like both of my birth experiences, you know, and having not experienced that and then experienced it. Yep. But, but also knowing that the repatterning of that energy that can happen even outside of a VBAC or another birth can happen. You know, when you sit with someone who's trained in holistic pelvic care, um, when you sit with someone, you know, even a friend and allow them to kind of guide you on a meditation to feel that flow of energy right down into your body and, and then feel that energy really like birth and then come to baby that you can be resourced. It's not just like a, an opening or a window that can only happen, you know, in the moments of birth. It's a resourcing that can happen for the rest of your lives. At any point, you know, you could be 80 or 90 and have had a traumatic birth experience and recover that birth energy to, to regain that vital capacity within your being. Wonderful. That is such a message of hope. Thank you so much for that. And I just had like full body. Yes. You could probably see it in my face when you were talking about <laughs> that feeling, you know, and you're right. It can happen in other ways, but for me, it happened through a VBAC of, you know, having my baby and having this feeling of, I can literally do anything. I have got this. I am so nourished. I mean, I have never felt anything. I mean, there's no drug. There's no high. There's nothing that can even compare to that energy download, I guess, is, is, is a way that I like talking about it. That makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. And um, I just, I want that for, I want that for every woman. I want every woman to know that that is available to her. So thank you. Absolutely. And as I approached my second birth, I kept thinking like, okay, well, I've done all this healing, you know, and I, I had this, like, it's almost like I had to hold my breath mm -hmm. because I wasn't sure what was going to happen. Yeah. You know, and I, I know that in my preparation for my VBAC, I delicately kind of like, um, tied off, you know, um, outside engagements and just really focused on like my work, my family, my body, my baby. And that, you know, it was like very simple, you know, it's kind of like, instead of like the joy or the fear of missing out, you know, it was like definitely the joy of missing out. It was like totally a Jomo phase <laughs> where I, right. I just like, 
really tried to say no to as many things as possible to like keep my inner energy in to, to stay resourced, um, to not let, you know, those drains come through, which can happen, right? When we overcommit ourselves, especially in the pelvis, like our pelvis is so prone to overcommitment mm-hmm. and feeling that like we do when we give too much to others and don't reserve enough for ourselves and our families. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I did yoga. I know you didn't ask, but for some reason, this feels like a, a good time to talk about, like I did yoga almost, you know, like four to five times a week to just kind of keep my body supple, but also to remember that birth is a marathon. And I wanted to get there and to be comfortable in comfortable positions and situations. And I wanted to have, you know, that, that stamina, you know, to be there for a long time, if I needed to be knowing that if I approached a second birth, it could very well be, you know, another four day labor. Mm-hmm. And in my, in my VBAC, what was so beautiful is I reached that 24 hour mark of labor. And I actually went into labor as I was finishing with my last patient for maternity leave. Oh, wow. And it was very different, right? Because my daughter was born at 42 weeks and two days. And my son was born at 38 weeks and two days. So wow. I wasn't even prepared at <laughs> all. I was like, oh, I'm going to have a month. No, you know, like I have time to talk to my daughter about this. And we were in the middle of a remodel, which I don't recommend. Oh boy. <laughs> um, but then in that birth experience, I just fully remember like hitting that 24 hour mark and feeling the energy that I felt stall in my first birth, just push forward, like full steam, like this is really happening, you know? And it was like 12 hours later, my baby was born. Wow. And I was so lucky, you know, in thinking about, well, what are some common threads of what, you know, helps women in birth that can help women in birth? It's really having a doula. It's like that person, I just didn't give it a name before, but that person can, that can be a hundred percent committed to you and what you're going through. I was literally just going to ask you that question. If in this birth, you know, coming back to the beginning of our conversation, you talked about the importance of having a person who's there with you, who's the story holder, who's, um, you know, essentially doing what a, what a doula does. And I was going to ask you if you had someone this time to fulfill that role in your birth. I did. And it was so incredible. She was actually, it was, um, I had a midwife. I couldn't decide throughout my whole pregnancy. Do I want to have a hospital birth or a home birth? And Ultimately, I came to the fact that I wanted to have a hospital birth, but I wanted to have a midwife that did VBACs in her practices and that had done, you know, a couple hundred of them to be at home with me for as long as possible, trusting that, you know, if I had that baby at home, I would be totally safe. I would feel really comfortable and we just switch, you know, she'd switch her hats, you know, from doula to midwife. And I felt awesome about that. And I feel really privileged to have had that as an opportunity, you know, as um, something available to me. Mm-hmm. But it ended up being that we were laboring at home. It just felt like the right thing to do to transfer to the hospital. Maybe also because I had a three-year-old at home or a two-year-old at the time. Yeah. It just felt kind of nice to have my own space, like in a very primal way. But I remember, you know, like that 24-hour mark, my contractions just kept like really getting stronger and rolling. And I could feel my body starting to do these like very wild, you know, like beautiful primal things. Um, and we transferred to the hospital. I was there for, you know, with my, my doula who was able to check me before we went to say, yep, you know, you're, you're ready to go. Like your cervix is like, start is fully, you know, effaced. You're like four, you know, five centimeters dilated. We got to the hospital. I birthed in a tub for a bit. They were trying to put an IV into me for a good, I kid you not like hour and a half. And so that I think really stalled my labor. But as soon as I got the that I, or I got out of the tub and they were done with all of that, they decided to break my water, which was maybe not an intervention I would have picked before, 
but knowing um, with my daughter, my water didn't break for quite a while. Um, but just, it, it just felt like the right decision. My midwife um, and doula at the time kind of looked at me and she was like, we can, we can get the show started now. Like your baby's making great contact. I think I was like at a plus three position with a bulging bag of waters, you know? So it was like, she was there or he was, sorry, he was there. He was like ready to be born. It wasn't like they were prematurely breaking my water. Um, and so they broke it. And then I pushed for, you know, an hour and 45 minutes. And my, my son, what, what was great is I actually had a posterior labor with my son mm. and he was born sunny side up. So they say that adds like an extra two to three pounds to your baby, right? And baby is born in like the biggest, the largest um, presenting way possible. But at the, the very last minute of my birth, I could tell that they were getting ready to like, to take me back for a cesarean, right? Like my son was definitely having D cells. I could tell that like the energy was like getting pretty big, right? All of a sudden, like a team of 10 people just kind of showed up in the periphery of the room. Oh, wow. And um, my OB was like, I think we need to do an episiotomy. You know, I want to do a little snip. And she was just like the sweetest woman. And I remember thinking like, I don't want that. Like, I really don't want an episiotomy. And I turned and I looked to my midwife doula and I was like, what do you think? And to my husband, because it just feels so important, like with those big decisions coming in and out of, you know, being so far gone and, and back to like present body to ask, because I wasn't in the right mind to make the choice. Mm -hmm. And they had all the information of what was happening in the room. Right. And I only had the information of my body and what I could kind of see. Uh, and they were like, yep, listen to your doctor. It's the right choice. And so we had an episiotomy. He didn't come right away. They used a vacuum extraction. And they, I mean, it felt really gentle, right? When we think of vacuum extraction, it, it sounds like pretty awful. But it was just a handheld, like very gentle. She just wanted to kind of tug my son out. But because of the way that she birthed him, the positioning, which would have been different if she'd known that he was posterior or sunny side up, um, I tore pretty significantly. So I had a third degree tear, but sitting, you know, with a cert, literally like sitting with a third degree tear was to me so beautiful. And the fact that my body had done what it had done, you know, despite the fact that I had this uh, sunny side up baby was so beautiful. Like I still had that download of energy and in a lot of, you know, books that would have felt very traumatic, but to me, it actually felt really empowering. Like, great. I got to make the choice to have that intervention. You know, I, I knew that I didn't want to have a cesarean and having the knowledge that I have about pelvic floor health, scar remediation, cold lasers, you know, just intravaginal manual therapy and kind of understanding, I knew that that was going to be an easier healing for me. And it was, it doesn't, doesn't mean it wasn't like super smooth, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it doesn't mean it was super smooth, but, um, that was a better choice for me. Did you just feel like the biggest badass ever that you V-backed a posterior baby? I mean, that's incredible. It was so badass. And yeah. what was really cool is there was um, a neonatal natologist. So a neonatologist was in their space and everyone was like freaking out. My son's born, like he's totally blue. You know, he's kind of limp. Like you could tell, like he was really struggling in my pelvis at, you know, at the time of birth. And I remember like looking at him like, oh my gosh. And then just kind of like feeling his energy and knowing he's going to be okay and like kind of holding him and everyone's kind of like freaking out, like we need to take this baby. And the neonatologist, I just remember her like sweet, calm voice. She's like, he's fine. Leave him oh. with his mom. Like he's going to be fine. You can see him starting to move, you know? And she just had this like narrative, like calming effect of her voice. And 
it was just so, so, so beautiful because she, you know, a night later we're doing our 24 hour screen in the hospital, which you have to do for like all the bilirubin and genetic screening. And she ended up like being in the space and she was just talking to us. And she's like, you know, in 42 years of practice, I've only seen one other vaginal, like unmedicated sunny side up delivery in my life. Everything else is cesarean based. You know, it's like all, there's always an epidural. Um, And she was like, we just started talking about this like patriarchy, you know, that we're embedded in and how birth has been taken over, right? Mm -hmm. By the patriarchy and how in a normal hospital setting, someone would have taken my baby out of my arms, right? Mm -hmm. To check the baby. And she was like, you know, and in 42 years of practice, what I've seen is when you leave the baby with the mom, you know, the mom has everything that baby needs to come back. It's almost like nature is intelligent. (laughs) Imagine that. (laughs) It's almost like that's how we were designed. Wow. Oh, that's such a beautiful story. I'm so grateful that you shared some of those details. And I couldn't agree more. Um, there, When there's agency in the choices that we make during our birth experience, there can still be things that you know sound traumatic or scary, but we don't really take that on as trauma when we know that we have support, we have the right support, that we are able to make the decisions that we know are right for our body. And when we feel that there's agency in those choices. So I'm so grateful that you shared that beautiful feedback story with us. And some of those details are really relevant to just everything that we're talking about today. We're getting close to our time and I want to be respectful of your time. But I have one last question that I want to ask you that is um, kind of off topic, but maybe not really. I'll let you decide that. Um, It's something I'm personally just really, really interested in. So my audience and everybody, you're going to have to indulge me because I'm really interested in this. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I grew up with someone uh, very, very close to me who suffered horribly with endometriosis. I mean, I don't know what level it was, but it was to the point where she had endometrial tissue in her lungs or in her, the, the, I may be misspeaking about that, but she had it like up in her chest, in her chest cavity. So um, I watched her my whole life suffer horribly. And it was so um, puzzling to me because I never, I've never experienced painful periods and we are related. I'm trying to keep this person private, but I never understood how she suffered so much in this way. And I never have. And so I've always been really curious, what causes this disease? Do you know? There doesn't really seem to be a consensus around it, even or even from experts that I've heard talk about it. I've heard some people say that it's an autoimmune condition. I don't know if that's true. Um, I've heard that even men can get overgrowth of endometrial tissue sometimes, which is really quite puzzling to me. But I know that this is something that you work with with women and so I'm just really pu- super curious to hear what you think causes endometriosis. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, it's, it's a, that's a challenge, right? We, I mean, I think we can't say that any one thing causes almost anything. But what I can say is that we're all born, you know, with genetic variability. So let's say um, a sibling or a cousin or someone, right, who shares like some of that lineage um, download, right, in our DNA doesn't mean that, that we're going to have, or let's say even had a twin sister, right? We're, we probably will have different epigenetics, so different expression of the genes. And so with slight variability in our detox pathways, our immune system pathways, we're just going to be different within our own bodies. So, and that's important because 
and also thinking, you know, if they're separate pregnancies, well, how much estrogen was one baby exposed to versus another, right? Mm -hmm. In utero, how much, um, so, I mean, I could go in so many, so many ways, right? With this, but I think of, of endometriosis as an estrogen metabolism disorder, that there's too much estrogen in the system. Oftentimes that can be because of dysbiosis in the gut, right? And we're not able to process and get rid of xenoestrogens or chemicals in the system. And so the liver gets backed up. It can't detox estrogens. Estrogens in the system then just act as kind of like um, super highways and um, proliferation buddies, you know, for endometrial tissue. I also think about cycles and timing. Like when we menstruate, it's really a time to not be too, do, to not do too much that, you know, it's the menstrual time is a time to come inward, to slow down, to be with our bodies, with our breath, you know, to think about, well, is that too much for today? And if it's too much for today, not to do it. So I think there's some correlation, right? That women who do too much exercise while they're menstruating, right? So there's kind of like a reflux of that endometrial tissue back into the abdominal cavity and then other places that that can then travel during that time more easily than others, because there's that shedding. It's like readily available, right? So oh, it can interesting. kind of- and then I yeah. think of inflammatory pathways as kind of like inflammation highways, just allowing tissue to migrate within the body. So let's say that happens to someone who has an active immune system that then can identify that endometrial tissue in the abdomen and say, oh, this isn't normal. We're just going to eat it up and take it away, right? Then that, that immune system can keep it under control. But another immune system might not be able to. It might also be that a person has an immune system that can, but maybe they have such high estrogen dominance in their system from like dysbiosis in their gut or hormonal exposure in pregnancy or early on, or even fillings like BPA is in um, dental amalgams, you know, so to, to think about our toxic burden and load and how that relates to estrogen metabolism as this like um, fire starter for endometriosis. Then, you know, to backtrack to the time before birth, there's also some theories that endometrial tissue can migrate intrauterine, in, you know, during uh, fetal development. So that, you know, basically the way the body works during embryogenesis is that it lays tissue into a lot of places. So initially there's vasculature that goes everywhere because you want blood to access all the tissue. And then that vasculature, I'm just using this as an example to kind of, you know, how it might do the same thing with endometrial tissue, right? Then it kind of like, eats it up and, and moves things around and creates those like super highways of blood vessels, gets rid of the smaller, smaller ones. And then before you know it, you only have the major pathways of blood, right? That exist in most humans. And the same way, right? We should have endometrial tissue where it's supposed to be, but not other places. But the, the body's cleanup work is not always so perfect. And so we can actually end up with endometrial tissue at birth, right? This is one theory that kind of lines the colon or maybe even started in this person's lung tissue, right? At birth, mm -hmm. like it was always there, but that maybe with kind of a, an under-functioning immune system to get rid of that tissue with maybe an estrogen dominance, you know, uh, dysbiosis in the gut, you know, we're talking about diet, lifestyle, all those things, right? That it was just the perfect storm. So I don't know, but what I can tell you is that I've, I feel really like, I'm going to knock on wood here. I feel really fortunate that I've never had a case of endometriosis that I wasn't able to resolve with, wow. with clients. And that, that is, that is a, a big thing to say. And I don't say it lightly. I am so committed to my patients and helping women thrive and heal. Um, but endometriosis from a naturopathic Chinese medicine perspective is pretty easy. I mean, wow. I, I hate to be a jerk and just put it out there like that, but there are some supplements and just things that we can do that in a very short period of time can change things, can change that inflammatory cascade, can get rid of estrogen as that dominance, 
you know, in the system. And then we can do pelvic floor work and other things to decrease inflammation to kind of get rid of those super highways that let, you know, endometrial tissue travel. So wow. I hope that is a good, that, okay answer. That was brilliant. That, that really helped me understand. Yes. Thank you. And it sounds like part of the way to address it has to do with detoxing, like maybe personal care products, making sure that you don't have endocrine disruptors in your life. Yep. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. I might be sending someone your way as a referral. There's someone in my life who could use some support. Um, Thank you so much. You are absolutely brilliant. And I learned so much during our time together today. I I really, really appreciate your taking the time to let me pick your brain and sharing so beautifully with my audience. I wonder as we wrap up, if you'd like to share uh, where people can find you, if you have a website or if you use social media, where people can find you and connect with you. Yeah. Awesome. I just want it's been such a blessing to be here and share because birth healing belongs to everyone. Yes, Um, I agree. My practice is Derek's Family Medicine. I'm in Seattle, Washington. And then I also just jump-started a supplement company. It's called um, VisRx, V-I-S-R-X. And the supplement company was, it basically evolved out of a need for support for fertility, for immune support, um, and then antioxidant support for my clients. And thinking like, I, I don't know where to get the things that I need right now. And um, so that, there's that too. And then I have, I'm actually in the process of writing a book on recovering from cesarean birth. And I don't have a date of when that's going to come out yet. I'm kind of collaborating all the interviews. And actually, I'd love to, to talk with you and interview you sure. <laughs> for that. Yeah. yeah, I would. Wow. And I, I, I'm so glad you're doing that. And I can't wait to buy that book and support your work in <laughs> any way I can. That's incredible. Thank you so, Thank you. so much. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you enjoyed this podcast, I invite you to please give us um, five stars if you're on iTunes, leave a review if you're able to share this with your friends and family. And more importantly, go give our girl Diana some love over at her podcast, which is called Healing Birth. So just look up Healing Birth on any major podcast app and listen to some of her episodes. She's got some fantastic interviews and stories on there and leave her a review as well, please. Thank you so much. And I will talk to you tomorrow.